I'd like for you to open your Bible this morning to three places. First, in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 1, and then John chapter 12 and Mark chapter 9. I know you can remember all of that. Now, Isaiah 53, just the first verse, a common verse. We've heard it before. We're familiar with it. It says, Lord, who hath believed our report, our message, what we're saying, what we're bringing forth? Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now, I believe the arm of the Lord would be Jesus and an expression of the power of God. Now, the question that Isaiah raises was, a lot of people have heard the grace that brings salvation has appeared to all men. But who has believed it? Does your Bible say that? Hearing is one thing. You would agree with this. To hear the truth is one thing. To believe the truth is another thing. You don't necessarily believe what you hear, even though what you hear is right. Because a lot of folks in church have heard right things, but for whatever reason have chosen not to believe that or to live like it's true, which is what believing is. It's an act that is in harmony with what you believe. You do what you believe. So who has believed our report and to whom, to whom in your generation and mine or any generation, to whom is the arm of the Lord been revealed. Now, in Mark chapter 9 and verse 23, this one is familiar also. Jesus said, If thou canst believe, just that part of it, if thou canst believe, what does he say? All things are possible. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to those who believe. Now, in these two verses this morning, the word believe has popped up in a very important way. Who has believed our report? Not who has heard it, but who's believed it. And then here, Jesus said to a man who was desperate for something from God. He said, if you can do anything, help my son. And the Greek expresses it this way. If I can. He said, if you can believe. All things are possible. What a wonderful thing to think about if we could just make it true. Well, it's already true. It's true because God said it. What we mean is, what a wonderful thing if I could experience this in my life daily. Wouldn't it be great I would be able to overcome any problem, all problems, be afraid of facing no situation, trial? I would never cave in to threats or temptations I would overcome because I've got something that I can do all this with. It's a thing called believing. Churches sang about it and talked about it for years. The Bible is full of it. The Gospel of John and the Epistle of John has it more than anybody. Believing is what we're called, believers. It is assumed by the world out there that what you hear is what you believe. And they look at you as believers to live like what you hear. That hadn't been true in history because, it's, again, it's one thing to hear something. It's something else to believe it. In John chapter 12, our third verse, our third passage this morning, beginning in verse 37, and this is where we will spend our morning. John 12, verse 37. 
But though he had done so many miracles before him, yet they believed not on him. Would you agree with me that that was a choice they made? In spite of what I see and the thoughts in my mind about how could this be, wow, I choose not to believe what he is saying. Are you with me? I see the miracles. I see the signs. I cannot deny that I see the results. People that were sick or healed and the lame walk and so forth. And then he's telling me things. I do not believe what he is saying. I do believe what he is doing. But it, this is the way God describes that attitude. He said, they believed not on him. And the reason that says they did in verse 38, that what we just read a while ago, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, it's obvious that what he said in Isaiah 53 was a prophetic thing. And the fulfillment of it took place in the ministry and the life of Jesus, who was the arm of the Lord that was revealed. In fact, all of Isaiah 53 begins to declare what Jesus did for us in the redemptive processes and so forth. He bore our disease, carried our pains, we esteemed him stricken, spit of God, so forth. And so when he came and did all the things he did that verified his divinity, people still would not believe on him. They still wonder, just like today in Christendom, hopefully not here, but in the scope of Christendom in this world, and it's been like this for centuries since he came, we have wondered after him. We know that he can, we know that he is able because he is God. We read what he has done and the promises are made to us that he will do what things ever you desire. We read all of that. We know all of that's contained in the scripture. And yet our life is not marked by the power of believing. Now the title of my message today is in the form of a question and it's directed at you and me. It's can you believe. Can you believe? You ask any church member if they believe, they will all say yes. And what they mean by that oftentimes is, and there's a few exceptions, but they often are saying, well, yes, I believe the gospel message. I believe that Jesus was the Son of God. I believe that He lived a sinless life, did miracles, was raised from the dead. He's coming back again, and the Word of God is inspired. I believe all of that. And yet a definition of believe, when they hear it, is sort of unsettling because believing identifies a life that honors Jesus by doing what Jesus said. It's not easy. It's pretty tough. Not many can do it. Jesus said that. But it's what believing is. But think about John chapter 12 here for just a moment. In verse 38 again, Isaiah said, and then verse 39, Jesus said again, Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said, He hath blinded their eyes. Who's doing the blinding here? If you're willing to admit it, you read your Bible. Who is it says that they are doing the blinding and why is he blinding? Notice. He hath blinded their minds. He hath hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. Now, would God do that? What a terrible sentence 
on a man in this world living one brief life. What a terrible sentence. I cannot think this morning of anything that would be a worse sentence on a human being in this world than that. Because what it means is that you cannot be saved. You can go to church and be very religious. You can be a preacher. And you can go through the motions and the actions, say the right things, but just don't live it and don't really mean it. And therefore, you're not believing it. And therefore, you're not saved. It also would mean that you cannot please God. You cannot gain the victory in your life and all its various circumstances. You can't overcome because all of these things require faith. God says the basis for experiencing this kind of a life is believing what God has said. Before the Word comes to you promising you something, you cannot know, just know that it's going to work because He said it. You have to experience that. The way you find out if what God said is true and if it will work for you is you step out there and you lay hold of it. And a lot of people are afraid to and they draw back and they cannot believe. But there comes a time, it seems, there comes a time, it seems, as I read this, that because you refuse, because they draw back, because they're unwilling, that God says you'll never be bothered again by conviction. And he says he has blinded, think of this, he has blinded their minds and he has hardened their hearts. He has blinded their minds and hardened their hearts. They cannot be established. Remember Isaiah 7, 9 says, if you will not believe, you will not be established. Can you imagine going through life without ever being stable, comforted by God, or having something to turn to to hold you up? That's not yours. It's just a horrible thought to me of the judgment against those who refuse to believe. Because, again, I didn't write this. You know that. But he said it here. He said that Isaiah said, who has believed? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then in Jesus' day, they saw what he did as a demonstration of divinity and the promised power of the Messiah. They saw it. They liked that. They heard what he said. They would not believe on him. Therefore, therefore, he blinded their minds. He hardened their hearts that though they have eyes like everybody else to see when anybody can see, they can't see. It's a spiritual thing. They don't get it. They can't comprehend it. Well, they hear what you're saying, and then through the intellect, they can try to put things together and, and intellectually or academically come to some conclusion, but they can't believe it. They can have an opinion and an idea about it, but they can't believe it. And because they can't believe it, life is one constant struggle in a marriage, at work, money, people. Something is always not right the whole life. And it never has to be like that for God's people. God has made something better for us. And it all depends on one word and something you're all capable of doing is believing. Because believing in its simplest definition is you taking God's Word as what He said and you're counting on God to do it. I'm just counting on God to do what He said. If He said I'm healed... 
then I'm going <coughs> I'm going <coughs> to count on him to do it. He didn't say I would look better, feel better, or sound better. He just said believe. I can't heal myself. I can't make myself better. I can't cure myself. I'm not able to cure anybody. You aren't either. But there is power in believing. And he said, if we will believe these signs shall follow those who believe. Not everybody does. They all want to. This came to me at the breakfast table this morning. What a man wants to believe and what a man can believe are two different things. We all want to believe right. We all want to have the assurance and the peace that we are believing what God said. Because we want to. But it comes right down to the moment of actually demonstrating it. Not everybody will. That's where we have to walk and survive and strive and all of those kind of things to, to enter in. It's not easy. But think of the alternative to believing. If you are an unbeliever, you're, as Paul said in Ephesians 2 and verse 12, you're without hope and without God in this world. Or you're handsome, you're pretty, you're well-to-do, you make money, you're shrewd, you're clever, you're popular, you're exciting, you're charismatic, you're all of these kind of things, but you're without God. You may be in the biggest movement going on in America. The trends of the latest book written and everybody is following after something new and exciting in these last days, something to deliver us out of old, dead, stale meetings, something fresh and new and exciting. It's always out there. They're waiting in line for the next one. But if you can't believe, all of that stuff out there is just momentary entertainment. But if you believe... There's nothing stale and dead about coming together as Christians. Because the most essential thing in my life this morning, necessary and vital thing, is to believe. Because that's the only way I can please God. It's the only thing that God says that He watches over to perform is His Word. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by His Word. If I have faith in His Word, it means I believe what He said. This is the way it's supposed to be. Now, notice again in verse 37, they saw the miracles. There was a demonstration of the power of God. And in verse 38, it was revealed to them. They saw it. To whom was the arm of the Lord revealed? Well, a whole generation. In Christ's day, they came from afar off to see him. Great multitudes thronged together to see him. They were there. This word reveal means to make manifest. It's like a picture of the eyes being open to see not only what's going on here, but what's behind what's going on. Wow. And something deeper than just an act, but something that is causing the act to take place. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who sees it today? I know you do, don't you? Of course you do. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Well, they saw it, but as that said in verse 37 again, yet they believed not on him. And that verse in verse 40, and therefore. Can you think of this? What if you had been blinded 20 years ago, but you're still here? 
and you find yourself just as yappy as you were before you got here, just as uncertain, just as belligerent, difficult, hard to get along with, same hang-ups. In other words, you've been here for how long ever you've been here, and you're not any different now than when you were when you got here. Now, could I say standing here, there's something wrong with your believing mechanism? You've been given a lot of things by the Lord. I would like to think, in spite of the preacher, you have been able to hear something in your 10, 15, 20 years. You've heard something that was addressed to you personally. It's not the preacher needling you. It's just that the Spirit of God has said something to you. Something that you need to hear about your life and your direction of your life. And you keep setting it aside. Well, I know, you know, I 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 know. And you keep setting all these things aside. What happens? You never change. It's not because you're not going to church. Not because you're not sincerely going to church. It's not because you don't have some real meaning about needs in your life. But the problem is when the need is revealed, you won't believe it. Now, I hope that's not true with you. But I do believe in Christendom. As I look back at 43 years of it, I know it's true. I know that a lot of well-meaning people in a lot of good places with more polish than we got have never changed. And they probably never will change because they won't believe what they hear. Or they complain about what they hear. Like in Isaiah's day. You know, prophesy something else, man. Turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Jesus said this. 8, verse 43 through 45. He said to these people that he was also talking to in John 12. He said, why do you not understand my speech or my report, as Isaiah said? Why do you not understand what I'm saying? Now, Jesus asked that question, but then he answered it. What was his answer before they could even hardly think about it? Because what? Well, now, wait a minute. They could hear his voice. Couldn't they hear what he was saying? Do you hear me? Could you hear me this morning and not hear me? I told you one time, Mrs. Rudy, she came up this back a long time ago, came up to talk to me at the church. There's a lot of distraction. When I'm standing here and you're standing there and I'm talking, there's, you know, people going by and you know, every now and then do that. And, and uh, she was talking and I was kind of doing like it. And she said, you're not listening, are you? Now, my heart said immediately, absolutely not. <laughs> I haven't heard a thing you said, woman. I'm just being a preacher right now. Yes. But <clears throat> she said, listen to me. And I said, so I did. I said, you talk. I promise I'll listen. And I did. Now, I don't know what she said. Because <laughs> it was 20 years ago. I did at the time. I'm telling you, it is easy. My wife has said to me, Many times, you can tune people out. I can be in a car with the radio blaring and people talking, and I have no clue what they're saying on the radio, what people are saying in the car, because I'm thinking about something entirely. I have no idea what they're saying. And that happens spiritually. But it's terrible when it happens because you can't listen. You can't tune in. You can't dial in and get the right frequency. The lady says, you're not listening to me, are you? And I said, no. What if I said, it's because I can't. I'd like to. I ought to. I'm supposed to. 
I hear what you're saying, but it doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. It doesn't register in my heart. Is this true in Christianity? It is true. They hear the word. They hear what you're saying. They try to calculate that or compare it to what they've heard before or what they've always thought it should be. And, and you're not saying what somebody... And, and I, I, don't, I don't know. It's... I, 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 I don't know what you're saying. Or people sometimes say on a good night, I, don't, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, I can understand why, you know, the preacher's not necessarily the best in the world. That could be stumbling over words, but I believe in the, in the anointing. That when the word goes out and it's anointed, I don't care what the preacher says, you're going to hear what God is saying. Now, if there's nothing coming in, you hear nothing? If you can sit here, you kids, and you can write notes and draw pictures. Thank you. And look around and not pay attention. I'm talking to you this morning. That's dangerous ground for God to give you an opportunity to hear something that can change and affect your life. And you let it pass, and 30 years later, nothing's changed. I think you're in trouble. I think you are in spiritual trouble. Five years later, I think you're in trouble. I do. With my heart. I'm not crossing it, but I think you're in trouble. I think you're still alive, and I'd like to think that God can turn things around for you, even though there's a blindness and a hardness where you can't see and you can't hear. That's what the word hard-hearted means. You hear it. You see it. You can pay attention to it, but it means nothing. It means nothing. It means nothing because you can't believe it. Why do you not understand my speech? Listen to what he said. He said, because you cannot hear my words. Why can they not hear it? Now, I'm going to ask you all the question. Why could they not hear? He said, you don't understand what I'm saying. Because you can't hear me. And I could imagine him saying, well, we can hear. We heard what you said. But you can't understand it. Is it true that understanding is a spiritual process? That anybody who can get what God is saying, gets it because of what God does. And don't care how what your IQ is and how smart you are, you can't get it because you're deep academically. It comes by revelation that a child can understand most difficult things. Anybody can understand when God puts it in your heart. God. But why here, he said, you can't understand me. Why? It goes back to John chapter 12, doesn't it? Why can a lot of people not hear what God is saying? Why do their lives never change? They never change. They never change. Why? It's not because there's no preaching. It's not because they haven't heard. It's not because there's not a wealth of material they can avail themselves to. Why can they not hear him? Could it be he hath blinded their minds? John twelve forty, And I don't think what I'm saying this morning would bother a dead sleeping church until they heard me say that. And then it becomes very personal and you're irritated. you saying we're asleep. I'm not saying you're awake. What was it the prophets said about in the Old Testament about prophets in Israel? 
or the watchman. What do you say about the watchman, the people who are supposed to alert people to the enemy coming? He said they're dumb dogs. They can't bark. They're dumb dogs. They can't bark. Put your finger right here. I'm going to come back to John 8. And turn to Jeremiah, right in the middle, to the right a little bit of middle. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 16. Thus saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. Vain means useless. Would vain mean somebody that the Lord does not use? Somebody who does not honor God with their life? Oh, surely God could turn it around. Well, of course He could. But God allows us in this life to make choices. They were making bad ones. They were seeking after excitement. This book says it. Smooth thing. Man, give us some breaks. They like their idols. They like their fun. They like the worldly ways that they were living around the heathens. They like leisure and pleasure and excitement. And the preacher wouldn't let up. They said, man, get away from all of that. That's what Isaiah said. Jeremiah said, the people that you're drawing to yourself with your itching ears, he said, they're making you vain. And if you get in the mirror and you look at your life, you're going to find it's no different than it ever was. You're religious. You know new songs now. You have songs you never knew before. You know a, a religious routine of how you do things, but you're no different than you ever were. You don't get convicted about things anymore now than you ever did. In fact, you've got a way of justifying everything you do. He said, the prophets that prophesy you, they make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. They say still unto them that reject me. The word despise means reject. They say still. These prophets say to those who have rejected the Lord or His words. They say to them, You shall have peace. And to everyone that walks after the imagination of his own hearts, no evil shall come upon you. They were prophesying these things that people love to hear. That's why they follow the prophets. Their little egos were propped up and they were made to feel better. And in their own estimation of themselves, they were as good as anybody. Because the prophets said so. The new movement said so. The new movement and the new things that come in this world. Jesus warned us about end time delusions. That everything is going to be easy and everything is going to be happy. And it's going to be better than it ever was. Well... Verse 18, Jeremiah said, Who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard his words? Who has marked his word? And he's talking here to us. Who has marked his word and heard it? You think about that for just a moment sitting there. Who has marked his word and heard it? Whose attention has been called to the Word and the content of His Word? To whom has the Word of the Lord become a personal report? God is speaking to me. It's no longer I. It's just the preacher's opinion. No, sir, I heard what the preacher said, but I also know what my heart has said. And so what are you going to do with it? God is wanting us to hear Him. He speaks to us. We're here. We're taking a chance. So we've come to hear His Word. Go back to John chapter 8. 
When he said again in John 8, 43, why do you not understand my speech? He said, because you cannot hear my word. Wow. Then how could you ever have faith? Because faith comes by hearing. In verse 47 of John chapter 8, it says this, He that is of God heareth God's words. You therefore... Hear them not because you're not of God. Let me ask you all a question this morning. I'm not trying to be hard nor trying to be harsh. Does something like that bother you? You think of it. Does that bother you, what he just said? Jesus pulled no punches, did he? Jesus courted no man's favor. Jesus did not appeal to anybody for support or for backing. He came as the arm of the Lord to a lost generation. He manifested who he was by the extraordinary power that God operated through him at a time which was difficult in Israel, desperate, but it was the right time. And he came and did all of these things, and people said, who is this guy? Who is that? I don't know, but they followed him wherever he was. And they saw him do things, and they were astounded. They marveled. No man ever did this. And for some, there were a few who said no man ever spoke this way. Wow. And many of the people heard, and the Bible says, and they believed. They began to follow. They were convicted. They wanted to follow him because his words impacted their heart, and it made them want to be like what he was saying. There were people that did that. There still are people like that. But I do believe today in Christianity there are too many people who go to church to seek comfort, to seek divine acceptance, and by works, by doing a lot of things, that surely God will see that I'm trying more than other people are. And yet he puts the premium, well, I do too, but Jesus put the premium on the Word. He says, why do you not understand my speech? I mean, I can tell by the way you live, you don't understand what I'm saying. You're not getting it. He said, let me tell you why a lot of people don't. It's because they can't. Because words are divine things, heavenly words. God's words are divine things. The natural man, the man of the world, a natural, ordinary human being cannot understand them. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit, because they are spiritually discerned. Spiritually means outside of yourself. You can do nothing about that. You can't learn. God has to teach you. And if a man just keeps turning it off, then God can simply say, by an act of his will, you won't be bothered anymore by it. You won't see it anymore. You won't hear it anymore. You may hear the word, but you'll just sit in a chair and leave when it's over. And hope when the day of your casket that people will say that he was a good man, that was good enough, and God will take it. That's what they always say. Let me tell you about the consequences of unbelief in a roundabout way. Turn to First John chapter 2. First John chapter 2 and verse 11. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness. Now, we're not here to talk about hate and relationship between our fellow man. But to use this verse, because the rest of it's the thing I want. He that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, 
because darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, could I say this morning that if a man's eyes have been blinded, that his walk is like walking in darkness? Then how would you describe a man who has two eyes and can see in life with his physical eyes, if he is spiritually blind, how can he know spiritually where to go? How could he ever know spiritually where he is? How could he ever see anything from a spiritual standpoint if he's blind? He said here, if a man hates his brother, he's blind. Now, if a man is blind, he can't see where he's going. How can he believe? Well, the reason he cannot believe is because he's blind. He has been blinded. And in this blinding process, what he is following in his theories and ideas and opinions of life really amount to nothing. Keep your finger there and go to Matthew 6, verse 23 for just a moment. And let me add that to 1 John 2, 11. He said, if the light that is in you, does your Bible say that? All right, if the light that is in you, now what is the purpose of light? This is an easy one. What's the purpose of light to show us what we are, what's in front of us, what's around us? The purpose of light is to enable us to see. If I'm blind, I cannot see. If everything is brought to light, then I can see it. If I'm walking in light, I can tell where I'm going. I see what's in front of me. I can see. If I am blind, even though I can see physically, I cannot tell where I'm going because when you are blind, you are uncertain and unstable. You're never sure about anything, even though you go to church. You're always seeking help from man because you're not sure about God because you're blind. You're blind because you're not believing. Or if you're not believing, you're blind. And you live that way long enough, you begin to live by theories and ideas. Jesus said, if the light that is in you is darkness, how can light be darkness? What's well, a figure of speech? Shows comparison, contrasting one thing with another thing. To make a point, let me say it this way. If the religious beliefs that you have, the way you see the Christian life and the way we go, if the way you're looking at things spiritually is dark and it's not ordered of God, but it's your opinion. Mine's as good as anybody's, they say. But if you're not seeing things the way God shows it to you, then it's darkness, isn't it? What if I told you there's a whole... Christian world that's in darkness. There is a way that seemeth right, but the end of those ways are death. Because if it's not according to what God said, it's Isaiah 8.20. He said, if they speak not according to this word, they have no light. Now, if you're sitting under a lightless situation, ministry, if there's no light, what's going to happen to you? It's Matthew 15 and 14. They be blind leaders of the blind. And what will happen to all of them? They'll fall into a ditch. How important then is light? And how futile are my opinions? 
The prophets have prophesied to you. They've made you vain. You think you're living right. You think you're doing right. You think you've got it all figured out. And if God's going to bless anybody, He ought to bless me because. He said, you're walking in darkness. You're living in a dark world. You're a nice guy. You're a nice lady. There's nothing wrong with your person. We like you. You're fine and all of that. But you're headed down a slippery place into a ditch because what you're counting on to save you won't save you. You have no such option of picking and choosing a church that suits you best to go to. There's no such thing. There is only darkness and there is only light. And what you find is light. Because if you be without light, you're in darkness. And when you're in darkness, you can't believe. Because light produces faith. Thy word is a... Thank you. A word is a light and a candle. And when the light shines on the path, the path of the just is like a what? A shining light. So that when God begins to invade my darkness with light in order to turn my miserable life around and give me hope and direction for life... When he does that, everything begins to change. I'm seeing things I never saw before. I find myself going, wow. And then it brings me to repentance. Oh, God, such a miserable wretch as I. How have you put up with me? All the nasty, miserable things. Oh, God. Because God not only can bring his light to bear on you to show you your sins, but he can also bring the same light upon you to show you the glorious Message of deliverance and forgiveness. To take all your sins as far as the east is from the west. Then he can begin to direct your steps. Open your eyes in Ephesians 1. The eyes of your heart being enlightened. And everything begins to come into focus spiritually. You begin to see things the way God is saying it. You couldn't see it before. Well, I didn't know it was like that because you couldn't. The preacher that's not saved, he couldn't see it either. He's preaching the way he was taught to preach. He is explaining it as it was told him to explain it. As to whether or not he has set at the feet of the Lord and got a word from the Lord that is anointed or not, I don't know. But I know there's more to life than form and formalities. But when God opens a man's eyes and he begins to see the truth, she begins to see the truth. You begin to realize that God loves you, cares about you, is showing you things. But if you're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, it's because darkness is winning the battle in your life. That's not a good thing. You're still failing. You still fall. You still complain and whine. You're still a difficult person to get along with. I mean, after how many years should we be different? Shouldn't we be changing people? Shouldn't all things become new? Shouldn't some point, if two people get saved, shouldn't they begin to see a change in each other? If your kid gets saved, shouldn't we see the change in your child? They're different. They don't do what they used to do, and they wouldn't do things that they should not do because they're convicted. Their parents are different than they used to. Their parents don't go and watch and do stuff because 
of the new convictions in their life. They want to please the Lord. I've been brought to the light. And in thy light, the psalmist said, in thy light, we see light. If we want to keep seeing light, we got to stay in the light. Because that's the basis for us being believers. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. It troubles me when dark behavior continues to control too many people. They still want to drink, smoke. I know they overcome and smoking and all that. I'm not going to give you that, but I'm just going to say that there are people that know better than do something. No Christian should be controlled by a habit. Coffee or smoking. You should be able to rule your body instead of your body ruling you. We ought to have some convictions about a lot of things in our lives, but too many times there's, we give in to drinking, a social drink, going out. Well, you know, one beer out here somewhere, but nobody's going to see us. One leads to two, and then two leads to, to a happy night. Gambling, betting on stuff. You don't need to do that. You can't lay your hands on a lottery ticket, $42 million, whatever it's worth, and say, in the name of Jesus, this is the big one, Lord. I'm going to build you a new building if you give me this. You can't do that. Who taught you that? That's darkness. That's not the way God provides needs to his people, by chance, by taking what somebody else earned all week and you taking his money by gambling. That's not the way he's given us to live. I hear about things like this all the time sitting in church for years and still cursing. Bad words come out of your mouth way too much. One difficult instance, and here comes up some nasty words out of your mouth. How long has that been in there? Well, I talked like that a long time ago. Have there been any sweeping been going on in, since then? Have you been doing any cleaning house? Has there been any conviction about your language at all? About those romantic conversations that you have with each other about her or him? And about, yeah, boy, they can kiss. Really? Really? That's good stuff, isn't it? That is really good stuff. Of course, romantic encounters don't lead to fornication, do they? No, they're not supposed to. What's wrong with Christianity out there? What's wrong with people? Do we have the liberty as Christians to say we're believers walking in the light to live a darkness? Can somebody sit in a building like this for many years of your life and still do that stuff? Has nothing ever come in? Can we still knock on your door and nobody's in there? Do you not understand that Jesus is coming very soon and he's not going to come for everybody. He's coming for those in particular who are looking for him, who can see the light and are in the light and want to live in the light and are believing and trusting him. That's the only people he's coming for. Amen. Everybody else will still be in church the following Sunday, wondering why so many are gone or why a few are gone. What does God have to say from heaven to his people to get us to realize that we can't just stumble through life without knowing what we're doing like we're living in a dark cave. We've been given the victory. We have a testimony to live to this world, to your children, to your parents. You've got a testimony to live. There's a way you're supposed to conduct all your affairs that honors God because light has shown you that. 
And if you can ignore that, I'm talking to you. If you can live like it's no big deal or I, I'm all right, then I would suggest that you're probably being ruled over by another spirit. We fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And Ephesians six twelve he says, ends it with this, and rulers of this present dark world. And while the Bible says the world lieth in wickedness, it also implies the whole world lies in darkness. And all of its seamy, dark, nasty behavior will be brought to light in the last day. And God, when he judges, will be known throughout all the billions of people who have lived as a just and fair God. Everybody will get a fair and just sentence against them. Everybody. Including you and me. I mean, we who have been taught are more accountable than those who have not been taught. But are those who have not been taught, they're accountable too. They've heard it. But to whom much is given, much is expected. Turn to 2 Corinthians 4 about darkness. Let me say another thing or two about darkness. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I listen to preachers on the radio in the morning. They tend to wake me up, but then they put me to sleep. But I think, how do you preach a sermon in 28 minutes? It happens, and good ones too. Brother Fryer used to come by, and he'd preach for 28 minutes, and I got a lot out of it. And I think, I'm so slow, it takes me 28 minutes to introduce myself. But then again, there's no schedule. There's no time. There's no clock. There's no reason to have to hurry, but in 2 Corinthians 4, where I want you to turn, beginning in verse 2, concerning what I've just said to you a while ago, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. We have not walked in craftiness nor handled the word of God deceitfully. I'm not trying to gain your favor, get your money, but by manifestation of the truth concerning ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. I owe you that. You owe me that. I preach to you. I'll live it. You show me. You receive it. You live it. Should we not hold each other to that? That's why if we see a brother overtaken in a fault, we who are spiritual try to restore that brother. Who else should? Verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, blind in darkness, who's it hid to? Those that are lost. Now we could say this if you're not believing, you're in darkness. If you're in darkness, then you're lost. That's just three verses this morning. Either believe or be in darkness. And if you're in darkness, the consequence of darkness is that you're lost. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Now, here's how that works. Verse 4. Here's the way that happens. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Who's the culprit here of doing the blinding? When the Bible says God has blinded, does he not use an agent who blinds? Time out. How many remember the Exodus, Exodus 12? 
And God said, and I will go through the land. And when I see the blood on the doorpost, he said, I will not destroy the firstborn in that house. As though God is going to do it. But it goes on towards the end of that chapter and says it again. God says, I will go through the land of Egypt. And where there is no blood, then the destroyer will come in and kill the firstborn. The destroyer is the one who does it. Just like the blinding of your mind. How did Job get taken? What happened to Job? Job had a shield about him, didn't he? The devil couldn't touch him. When God allowed the shield or the heads to be broken down, who came in and afflicted Job and tormented Job and nearly destroyed his children, all of his family except his wife, all of his money, everything? He had nothing but a bunch of sores all over his body and so uncomfortable that he had to sit on ashes because that gave apparently some relief to the sores that were everywhere on his body. Big weeping sores like boils all over his body. This man who was once famous and the godliest man, still a godly man, but look at him now. A lot of good your religion did you. Who put those boils on Job? The devil did. Who destroyed all of his kids? The devil did. Who made havoc with all of his possessions? The devil did. Go back to verse 4. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who will not believe. That's a choice they made. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Let me ask you another question. Questions make you think, hopefully. Then if a man is blinded and the devil has had a right to invade your life and blind you. He got that right from God. He can't just do whatever he wants to because he'd kill everybody if he could. So if the devil has blinded somebody's mind, what's the consequence of being blinded? The second half of that verse. What is the consequence, class, of being blinded? Being unable to believe. The light doesn't come in. You hear things, they don't mean anything. It's just religious words. Songs are songs of pleasure. Holy, holy. It doesn't mean anything. You're not singing words that glorify God, though they're good words, because you're not singing to God. You're singing because you like the sound of the music. But he said here, if the devil is coming in and blinded somebody's mind, he says when he does, they cannot see the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. They can't believe. They cannot believe because he said in verse 4, if you choose to believe not, then you open up a door to something else. Why would people not believe it? Well, because they don't want to pay the price. You want to give up a habit that you have because of your conviction? You want to give up a job? You're making a whole lot of money? I remember years ago, years ago, back when we first started, a brother, still here, had a job in a distillery, making good money and probably some easy money. 
But the job was not exactly the right kind of a job. Making whiskey. A distillery is a place where they make whiskey and store it. And got convicted. I don't think anybody ever said, you mean you work in a whiskey joint? Nobody said that. But just as God spoke the word in those days, when people listened, they could hear things. And I didn't say it, but God would say things about, that's not what you should be doing. Well, what am I going to do? Well, you'll have to trust the Lord with stage two. So you go in and you resign your pretty good job. And now you got nothing. You reduce yourself to what, four or five bucks an hour? You look like a fool. But it turned out pretty good. Brother Guthrie, first time we met, he was living in a house. He paid 200 and some dollars a month for on a payment. He had bought this house and was paying down to $200 a month or something for his house. And just like three more years, his house is paid for. And he got saved and he got convicted. Started hearing this word. Somebody apparently had enough courage to tell him about being in debt. That offends a lot of people, so. And he got bothered about being in debt. He said, well, but, you know, then here comes the darkness. Well, but look, three years. And he said, and I don't know if everybody has the same convictions or not, but to him, God said, what did I say? So he sold his house. And rented a place cost him $400 a month. And everybody said, you're crazy. That's just not good judgment. You're paying 200 and some dollars a month for a house you're going to own. And then you got rid of that because of your religious convictions. And now you're going to go over here and, and rent a house that you might have to leave if the owner is going to sell it. You got to leave and it's $400. That doesn't even make good sense. They told him. And he said, I agree with you. It doesn't make good sense at all. And the only reason I'm doing it is because I believe that I need to live this way to show God that I'll take this step and I'm going to trust him with this. He's done very well. Now he's out of debt now and he owns his own house. Paid for. Because you see, you don't walk in the light and wish you hadn't. I have not come to this time in my life and said, man... I wish I was still back where I was 20 years ago. I look back 20 years ago and go, whoo, praise God. Because 20 years ago, sometime 30 years ago then, you're preaching these kind of things and it's not working. doesn't look like it is. All of a sudden it does. It does. It did. And it still is. And I can tell you without compromise this morning, if he's done anything for anybody because they believe God, he'll do it for you. Jehoshaphat was so convinced that that was true that he shut down all the border watching and had church throughout all the land. The whole nation had to go to a Bible study. He got all of his top priests and they set up these meetings all over Judah and Benjamin, that little last two tribes. And they had all this teaching of the Word of God because the people were ignorant. Light comes. Brother that went to the Fayu land, missionary that went to Indonesia in some of the darkest places left on this planet, still places where men haven't been, went into a jungle with people with bones in their noses, had never seen a white man before, never seen a white man, 
were totally pagan heathens. How could they not be? And in two or three years' time, the bones were out of their nose. They were learning the language and putting it on paper so they could read and talk and communicate and got saved. They quit fighting. They quit taking revenge on people because light, as he said, light has come to defy you people. Mother Klaus told us that. It is amazing what happens to any human being when the light of God shines on your life. It is absolutely wonderful and out of the ordinary when the light of God begins to shine on your life. Not only to show you favor, but to bring you conviction. This is the way, folks. Walk this way. Make the changes. Quit worrying about what you're going to lose or how much money is going to cost you. What am I going to do? I'm feeling so dumb. People are persecuting me. Of course they are. You're a living testimony to what is right. People hate to see people do what is right when they don't want to do right. They fight it. Jesus said you're going to be persecuted. All that live godly will suffer for it. You're living a life you could have never lived before. You're seeing things you could not see except God shows it to you. And you have this privilege of being one of those few that God has plucked out of the miry clay and put in His course and is causing growth to take place. The person when at the end of your life, He's going to say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You did not remain as you were. You became what I wanted because you were willing and obedient. That's what light does. But this expression of what happens comes because God... God gives us faith. The entrance of thy words give light. They give understanding to the simple. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. No, sir, God wants us to know that light not only brings joy and peace, but it brings direction. A blind man doesn't know where he's going. He feels around and hopes he does it right and hopes he doesn't. But he'll stumble and fall, and he's used to that. So he has a philosophy of falling. You know, you're going to fall. You had to fall. And he has a philosophy of this and that, and because you're supposed to. This life doesn't always go for everybody. You know, it doesn't always work good. So that's his philosophy. And you come along and you say, but God will direct your steps. His angels will be given charge to watch over your life and keep you. They will surround you. They'll protect you. Everything you put your hands to will prosper. And a person in darkness says, that can't be. But it is. But it is true. I don't know how many people want to believe that. But it is. Would you turn finally to Psalms 112? While you're in Psalms 112, let me read something to you because I want your attention. Remember just a moment ago we read 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but the God of this world is blinded the mind of those who believe not and so forth. I don't turn there, but let me tell you how that chapter ends. Chapter 4, 2 Corinthians. He said, For which cause we faint not, though our outward man perish, but our inward man is renewed day by day. Is it? How about you? How about you sitting here this morning? You out there in the world? Verse 17, For our light... Afflictions, which is but for a moment, 
worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The world can't see what you're looking at. For the things which are seen are temporary or temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now go to Psalm 112. Unto the upright. Is that you? Would you call yourself upright this morning? In Psalm 112 and verse 4, Unto the upright there ariseth what? Well, I'm going to ask you a question now. Again, we're about done. I like to ask questions. Whom does it say here that light is for? And then if it's for the upright, who does light, the light of God that reveals, shows, and brings us, to whom does God give light? Say the upright. So if a man is not upright, whatever the definition of upright is, it'd be worth a look. If a man is not upright, then he could be cut off from light, couldn't he? Now, before you say, well, nobody's perfect, that's not what he said. It doesn't say that an upright man is incapable of failing because a righteous man may fall seven times. God will lift him back up. He grieves over his fall. Because his heart, like David's heart, who was not perfect in what he did, but in his relationship to God from his heart, it was perfect. So, unto the upright there ariseth light in darkness. Does that mean we're going to face darkness? Help me. It means that you're going to face darkness in your life. There's going to be times in your life you really don't know what to do. You don't know if it's right or wrong. What should I do in this situation? Or the ethic question, what is a man supposed to do? What's the right thing to do in the eyes of God? If that's your heart, if that's your heart, and you do want to know what God says, and you put your ignorant phone down and quit asking what everybody else thinks you ought to do, and just find out from God what you ought to do, your phone doesn't have to be ignorant. <laughs> Excuse me. But... When you know what you're supposed to do, it's because God shows you what to do. But if you want to know what you're supposed to do in a dark time, then you have to have uprightness of heart. You can't do that in like five minutes at the altar. It's a life. Again, you may stumble every now and then. He's not saying if you're perfect, you have light. But he said if you're upright. If you can say no to sin. If you can say no to wickedness and uncleanness. If you can turn away from those things because God wants me to turn away. Isn't that right? God wants me to avoid the appearance of evil, doesn't he? That's why you do it. Because you have light. Light has captured your convictions. And you're saying, I believe, I believe what God said. I believe God. And for me to believe God, I have to walk in the way he's given me. I have to honor him with my choices and be a doer of his word and not just a hearer only. So in closing, Jesus said in John 12, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth in me should not walk in darkness. Because Jesus is the arm of the Lord 
Has he been revealed to you? Is your allegiance to him? Is his way the only way for you? Not a way, but the only way. Is it? Then if it is, and he's bringing you into his light, he's going to set you free. Amen. Jesus said to a man once, a father, in our text, the second verse I had you turn to, Lord, my son, I can't help him. He's my son. I love my son very much. Can you do anything? You know what Jesus said? If thou canst believe, you got no problems if you can believe. You cast all your care over on the Lord and he'll deliver you. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to bless your word to these people, that they would be found convicted, not because of what I've said or the way I've tried to say it, but because of the way you've spoken it to their hearts. Lord, there is a need here for conviction, conviction that rules. There is a need for it. There is a need for light that is so bright we don't want out of it. There is a need here. And I ask you in Jesus' name to deal with all of us in this room, all of those who watch, those who listen to this message. We trust you to bring that conviction and open our eyes and our ears to hear and to see so that we do not walk in darkness. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you stand to your feet?
Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Before we leave this morning, I want to ask you a question. If you just shut your eyes for just a minute. When you put your hand on the plow, when you signaled to God with your mouth and your words that I'm going to follow you, I ask you the question, are you doing that now? And when you didn't do it well, did you repent and get up and grieve over your sin and make amends with God? Is your life a testimony this morning to your brothers and sisters that you're living the life you should live? That's what we're saying this morning. I want you to make a decision right now, just privately in your own heart, Lord, make fresh and new to me that commitment that I made to you, that I be strengthened in that commitment today. If I'm not doing well, Lord, make me to do well. Renew me and continue to do a good work in me, Lord because I want to measure up to what you've said. Now, the Holy Spirit will come to do that in you, but you must be willing and you must be obedient, and you can because God said you could.